0: Hello, I'm Kirsty Cook, the producer of the Future Proof podcast, and today we're doing something a little bit different. We've got Andrew and Julie, and they're going to chat about some research that Kantar and Oxford have been doing around chatbots, their role in business, so the role in customer service, the role in market research, and maybe some more. So welcome as guests, Julie and Andrew. Thank you, you Kirsty. So to start us off, Andrew, I know you've done a lot of interesting work at Side Business School around chatbots and their role in customer service. So what did you find?
2: Yeah, so we've been looking at this in the context, as you said, of service. So, you know, we're all familiar with this probably. You know, you're trying to get a problem solved. You might be on an app or a website and you go into the chat. And then there's maybe a little uncertainty about is this a person or is this something else that is talking to me or that I'm conversing with? Um and so we're quite interested in this as part of sort of thinking about the future of consumer interactions. And so we've we've just sort of put out a study recently that's looked at um, a lot of data from customer service interaction chatbot for a uh, a large mobile uh, telco and then a bunch of experiments as well. But what we're looking at actually is the role of sort of humanizing chatbots. So it's pretty common that you know, maybe it's not misleading that this is a human when it's not. But, you know, there's there's avatars, there's, there's cartoon pictures, or there's sort of maybe a stock photo of, of someone who looks like they very seriously care about your concerns. Um, <laughs> and that's actually called, to use a long word, anthropomorphism of a chatbot, um, giving a human-like characteristics. And we thought this was interesting because the sort of conventional wisdom is that it always is a good thing to do. But actually, it turns out that it's not always the case. And sort of long story short, when customers are angry, which if you think about customer service interactions, that's probably going to happen. Human-like characteristics of the chatbot actually backfire. Um, it, it turns out that people are, f- are less significantly less satisfied with the service interaction when they're angry and it's a human-like chatbot versus if it's not a human-like chatbot. Um, but not only satisfied with the encounter but then they have lower purchase intent from that organization later on they have uh, low favorability towards the brand and they basically think that the organization is more incompetent to to put it bluntly so there's this carryover effect as well which is not just about the service encounter at the time but but it can come back to kind of hurt you down the line
1: so what's the hypothesis around why they believe that the a more human chatbot is less able to solve a, a- consumers' problem.
2: Yeah, so what what we were looking at when we found this with, this is sort of hundreds of thousands of, of chat um, transcripts, basically, and we're looking at anger and, and not... Then we sort of didn't have an answer to, to that. So we, we ran a, a whole bunch of experiments where we sort of created chatbots and had people go through these experiences and we made people angry or not. And um, so a real sort of science experiment. What we find basically is that when there are these human cues, this anthropomorphic sort of design of the, of the bot, even though they might know it's not a human because it's a cartoon picture as an avatar or, or whatever it might be, they expect more. Um, So it comes back to customer expectations. And, you know, it's not that they expect, you know, certain things other than they expect it to have a higher degree of efficacy in resolving an issue. So it's not actually that I'm expecting the bot to maybe care about me more or be, we actually originally thought it was about empathy. Turns out, you know, because a bot's not really going to be able to deliver empathy. um, It's not so much empathy. It's more just, I expect it, you know, when, when I see these human characteristics, I expect, uh, a higher degree of efficacy in in solving a problem. So if I'm angry, I want a problem to be solved. But of course, the bot, typically, at least the way bots are designed at the moment, even more sophisticated ones, they're, they're still really not that sophisticated. They're, they'll answer questions essentially from a script. And so it can't really solve abnormal problems. Um, and so higher expectations going in sets you up for more failure in terms of just you know, disconfirming those expectations. And then that's what's driving down satisfaction.
1: It's interesting, because you would think to some degree, or one could possibly hypothesize that consumers would think that a machine in this day and age, something that's driven by quote unquote AI, Mm -hmm. would be better able to solve the problem than a mere human. I mean, look at all of the times you've gotten, you know, people get so upset with call centers, and the people in, you know, who don't seem to be able to solve their problem in a call center so it's a bit surprising to me.
2: Yeah, so it's surprising that, you know, compared to humans, real humans, you know, there's there's this problem, but I guess there's two different types of problems you could see solving. And this is where the anger, the emotion comes in. So, you know, if I'm angry going into a chatbot with my with my, you know, mobile phone operator for instance, it's a different type of problem I need solved than if I'm sort of neutral going in and maybe I've just got more of a question. And so I think that the notion about sort of, if I'm neutral, maybe I've got a billing question or like what's the balance on my account, stuff like that. That's a problem to be solved, but it's sort of a search query. And so I think if you take the emotion out, then you're, you're absolutely right. Yeah, you know, this, this is basically a search engine that's looking up information for me and, and delivering that information back. So I would probably expect it to be able to do that. But if I'm angry, then it's probably a more idiosyncratic issue. Or I feel hard done by, or I feel there's an error, I feel there's a mistake. Uh, And that sort of personal aspect of it makes it hard for those systems which are trained to do really well at looking things up or kind of giving the the average response, if you will. Mm -hmm. When I'm going in angry, I'm probably not the average problem. I'm probably some outlier in the distribution of, of problems. And so I think it's harder for these systems to kind of cover that because they're more abnormal or more idiosyncratic.
1: Do you think there was something in that too? Because if I think about when I've called a customer service line and I've been angry, you sort of want someone to acknowledge and feel your anger and a bot can't.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's the empathy point. And, and, and we, like I said, I think we were going into this really expecting that that's what's going to be happening. But but actually it wasn't. So mm-hmm. I, I, I think maybe people aren't expecting a computer a piece of software some algorithms to be empathetic so may- maybe you know the regular customer is is kind of clued into that i do think that's in there somewhere so it's, it's probably hard to disentangle the expectation of, of it sort of being effective and solving a problem um, when i'm angry as well as kind of having that empathy and calming me down and, and and dealing with it in that way so there's probably more to be said about that from a research standpoint but it certainly wasn't the primary driver
1: it's really interesting, too, what you said about, because I could see how the actual interaction, the satisfaction with the interaction would be could be affected, but the residual effect onto the, the impression of the company as a whole, mm-hmm. again, you know, that seems a bit extreme.
2: Yeah, we were sort of, from a research standpoint, encouraged to see that, um, but also surprised and also a bit concerned. So it's sort of a mixed bag <laughs> of our emotions as a research team. But I think what it says is that the service interaction is important. And I think to the extent that, that that is an important, you know, touch point in the customer journey and so on, like any other touch point that could go wrong, it, it can have an impact on the brand. Mm-hmm. So I think it, it's just sort of reinforcing the point that, yeah, this, this isn't any different as a, as a service interaction element to, you know, going in store or pick up the phone or whatever else. If we expect those encounters to potentially impact the brand positively or negatively in the consumer's mind, then why wouldn't we expect that with a chat bot? And for that matter, why would we not also expect it to uh, have an impact on, in this case, repurchase intent mm. um, or desire to keep on doing business with uh, the service providers? So I think it, it, it's a bit of a sort of almost gives face validity to the findings that it's not you know, anything different to any other service interactions. And so therefore, we probably need to treat chatbots just as we would anything else um, instead of thinking there's some kind of special AI project off to the side, um, which we know happens in, in organizations um if you're going to use them you need to treat it just like you would uh, a call center
1: so what's what does a company do then so is mm-hmm. the is the point then you should never use a humanized chatbot because you can't use it when there's somebody's complaining it's okay if they're looking for information but you can't use it if they should they just not use them at all do you have two separate chatbots that you develop yeah
2: and so i think there's cuz cuz remember that we're really looking at the role of the uh, the human-like characteristics and the design of the chatbot here so so in all of our experiments what we're really doing is comparing the chatbot with the human properties to actually an otherwise identical chatbot in terms of what it says to just not having those human-like properties so take take the picture away or take the avatar away whatever kind of a subtle difference but but meaningful one so one potential solution here is essentially triage you know when, when someone comes in with their question Know, the first kind of thing that they fire off to, to the bot um, use natural language processing in real time to figure out if they're angry i mean that's what we did on the data that we had from the telco we ran it through natural language processing using machine learning to figure out you know emotions in what they were saying so do that right that can be done really really fast uh in real time then on the basis of that if there's sort of a you know an angry you know imagine there's this angry score for what they type if they're angry give them a chatbot experience, but without those human-like properties, and maybe even lower, I mean, I would advise lower expectations. And so you see some chatbots out there that actually introduce themselves as, I'm a bot, Um, you know, forgive me if I, you know, get some things wrong or don't understand you, like stuff like that. So like, I think that's a good idea, taking a little bit of a self-deprecating sort of approach to it. Mm -hmm. Um, But if they're not angry, then there's no reason why you shouldn't put them into that human-like experience, and that's probably going to have other benefits as well because it feels more natural and so on. So you could do that triaging. That's I think one thing, and try and lower expectations if it is a bot and they are angry, and I'd say moderately angry even, not just if they're like really you know <laughs> fired up, but like just a little bit of anger even. I would I would uh, do it that way. Of course, the other option is if they're if they're angry, don't give them to a bot. <laughs> <laughs> put yeah. them to yeah. a real person <laughs> send them to uh to a, to a real chat and, and make sure that's clear
1: did you find any positive impact actually amongst those people who weren't angry of having the human bot um, interact with them did, were they were they more satisfied by having a more humanized bot
2: not necessarily more satisfied and and we certainly didn't do a comparison to other forms of service mm. so so as a follow up it's something that we're interested in looking at like how does this then kind of rate against yeah, a face-to-face or a, you know, real human in, on the phone or something like that. So we can't really speak to that. But, you know, you did sort of see that they were sort of unaffected, but not, not negatively, which is mm-hmm. more important. So, you know, I think there's more work to be done there to see how could we actually design these bots to enhance the satisfaction versus some kind of
0: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place.
1: So in terms of trying to enhance the experience, do you think that's going to come more from continuing improvements in the natural language processing, the ability of the bot to respond more to adapt more to what's being thrown at it, or is it more about the way the conversation happens or the humanization of the bot or
2: I mean I think in in a service like a digital service, I mean all of those things could could play a role, but if you think about where do a lot of service encounters fall down. It's when the intervention, be it a person or a bot, seems to not understand what you've been doing. Mm. Um, and you know where you are in that journey, what you've been looking at on the site, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. And so not connecting the dots, basically. Yeah. So I think actually, if you're going to have an intelligent bot to help someone in that process, whether we're talking about on an e-commerce um, shopping site or banking context, you know, I think any context, it has to have that sort of memory mm-hmm. um, and, and sort of say, you know, not just, oh, I see you're, you're, you're slow, basically. Like I, I can think of some banking examples, like I won't say the bank, but, you know, when I'm taking a little bit longer to do a transfer, for instance, when I'm on mm-hmm. banking, because I'm trying to find the account number or whatever else, like a chat bot pops up and says, can I help? Well. Yeah. It's that's pretty generic, so I think more personalization and that would would help because otherwise, actually, what we're what we're doing or what these bots are doing are uh, not that different to you might remember uh, Clippy in Microsoft Office. Oh. <laughs> um, you know, this this is actually in our, in our team kind of our running joke. Like, how do you design chat bots for for now and into the future that aren't just sort of glossier versions of good old Clippy <laughs> from Microsoft Office. And if you're you know, too young listening to this, um, Clippy was like in the late 90s, early 2000s in Microsoft Office, it literally was like a paperclip avatar that would pop up and say something like, if you start typing, you know, dear, as if I'm going to write a letter, it would say, oh, I see you're trying to write a letter. How can I help? And it was always annoying and it was hard to close Clippy. <laughs> and so we don't want chatbots yeah, like we Clippy. we want Clippy. As, as endearing <laughs> as Clippy, you know, certainly was
1: to its developers. <laughs> yeah, I
2: know to someone. Yeah, we're not we're not suggesting that.
1: We've been doing a lot of, of development work around chatbots at Cantar to use chatbots more for research. And what we've actually found is whether it's humanized or not. And we do have some humanized, av- you know, some with with really solid avatars and some that not. If you're actually asking questions in a more exploratory way, we're getting a lot more, a lot richer and deeper, and more response. From chatbot surveys Mm. than we are from regular open-ended questions in a survey which so there is something about people somehow being able to transfer themselves into the mindset of i'm having a conversation as opposed to i'm just answering a question
2: and so so you mean sort of more sort of probing questions or or sort of yeah so instead of just the open-ended text boxed on a survey for example it you know the chatbot can then ask and then say yeah but what do you mean by that and so okay that's Mm. that's kind of and, and so that's I guess when you're looking at chatbots in research, I was thinking, well, would this mean people are more likely to talk about things they wouldn't talk about to a human, like then, like in a qualitative interview type context? Is it working that way?
1: We have found that there are some differences by culture, but we have found that when the sense when the topic is quite sensitive, people feel safe hmm. talking to the chatbot and and will write more and write more personal things than they will filling in an on you know the open text box on a survey we've also found that in some cases clients want us to use the chatbot basically as to be a quick way to do a survey so asking questions like can you rate on one from 1 to 5 on doo-doo? and mm-hmm. we found that is you know people just they they tune out they don't want to do it and you don't actually get great completion rates when you use a chatbot in that way mm-hmm. but if you use the chatbot to actually probe and ask people about why they do stuff or how they were feeling at the time and get them to describe actually do more descriptive what were you doing during this you know when you last were wherever you were at the theater we get a lot richer data from that and and part of it is the probing and you know the probing is still can still be a bit awkward it's getting better every day and we're getting better and better at, at applying ai to to improve the probing but it is interesting we are getting a lot richer data yeah i
2: guess i guess sort of it makes sense when you think about what what's the chatbot replacing so if it is just, you know, I'm going to click, you know, a button that a one to five or slider scale or something like that, then I, I just do that. Mm. Uh, I don't need that kind of messaging type app sort of experience. But I guess, yeah, on the qualitative side, it's more more uh, opening things up. I wonder if people are more likely to also not just say more, but like tell the truth or, or I don't know. I mean, have you got any evidence that, that maybe you can get more truth telling? Because, of course, that's also... A worry in any kind of research that our people, particularly when it's about intent, are they actually really intentions or are they just kind of saying it?
1: We haven't done any work that I've seen on, you know, socially acceptable behaviors and whether mm. or not people are more willing to admit to socially, you know, to socially less acceptable behaviors, I should say. What we have seen, which I thought was interesting, is we did do a side by side beverage consumption diary, which for years and years and years for a client, we've been doing this diary as a normal survey survey a diary where people keep the diary for three days to five days, however long, in the particular market. Um, and we've replaced it with a chatbot that would just prompt the respondent four mm-hmm. or five times a day and say, what have you drunk recently? Where were you? Take a picture of it and tell us how you were feeling at the time. And interestingly, the the data was really, really good. I had my concerns, I have to say, because I was wondering if people would really be willing to go through the questions multiple times a day, and they were actually. And they were much more accurate in what they were doing they were much more complete in terms of the number of occasions they they provided we got more occasions mm. we got more of the occasions that people tend to forget about like i had a glass of water or i had my cup of tea this morning which oftentimes in a diary because you tend to fill in a diary at the end of the day <laughs> <laughs> you just don't pay forget. attention and mm. we got a lot more out of home occasions so actually okay. the data was more representative of real volumes in the marketplace. Than what a traditional diary had been in the past. We'd had to do less adjusting for some of that lack of remembering what, pe- what, mm. what people have done. So there's certainly something about the immediacy of it, the feeling that you're having a conversation rather than reporting on yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, so there does seem to be something there.
2: And, and you mentioned culture, it differs. Mm. So, so can you give some examples of some different, because I know this is global that you've been testing it out. Yeah. So what are some differences between, say, you know, U.S., U.K. and other parts of the world?
1: Yeah, interestingly, the Asian cultures seem to be much, much, much more willing to be fully engaged with the chatbot. And we've even had in some of our studies in Japan and in other parts of Asia where people have just continued to call up the chatbot and talk to it long after the study had closed out. <laughs> <laughs> they've got a new friend. Yeah, they've got a new friend, <laughs> which is very lovely. And we'd also seen some of that in the work that we've done with digital assistants where you know the Alexas and the Google digital assistants, you know people are actually telling them that they love the assistant, mm-hmm. and I love you, Alexa, and etc. <laughs> in Asia, which is quite interesting. But I do think people, um, they're, I think they num- generally feel more comfortable with technology. Um, I think technology is much more pervasive in those markets, surprisingly, and just much more willing to engage more as a personal interaction with the technology,
2: and so. The way that they interact, so you, you mentioned voice, because I was thinking about this in, in sort of the service context we we're looking at, but I think also in research. How, I wonder, I mean, we're looking at text, basically. You know, I think I think what I was talking about, what you're talking about is all sort of text-based interaction. Mm. I, I, I don't know, it's an open question, but I wonder how this then transfers into, mm. you know, talking to Alexa, talking to Siri, talking to Google Home, and so on and so forth. You know, if I'm typing away or, you know, on my phone, you know, some... some deep and meaningful kind of feeling as a consumer to this bot. I wonder if it's different if I'm going to be speaking it to Mm. my phone or to my speaker or whatever in the home.
1: Yeah, we've just started to do some work on that. And actually the earliest, the the one thing that we have discovered so far is that actually people are very unwilling to do a survey Mm. on their Alexa. There's something strange about, you know, people will start and they might answer one question and then they they shut it down and they and they close off. Mm-hmm. Now that could be, you know, we just may need to do more work in terms of how do we open it up? How do we introduce it? How do we set the context? So we've just, just started um, doing some work in that space. You could probably get away with, ans- with asking one or two questions, yeah. but anything longer than that we're struggling with. But more work to be done because it is going to be a way of collecting data from consumers in the future.
0: Yeah.
2: What, what about, I mean, since we're talking about voice and text, what about Images or even video could those be? I don't know ways that people could interact with with a bot.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, even with the traditional survey, we can always ask people to upload a photo of what they're doing, or who they're with, or where they are, or what they're consuming. But with the chat bot, it seems to be even more natural. Um, it feels like, again, since you know we deliver the chat bots typically through Facebook Messenger, it feels almost like you've put them into the mindset of they're just chatting to a friend, and then they're very happy to upload a photo. And when you upload the photos, the information becomes much more accurate, frankly, and much richer. We can do, you know, you take what the person said, but then you attach it to the analysis of what the, what's in the photo, and it just becomes an amazing picture. We did a hmm. big study for a fashion client and just asked people to upload a, fo- a selfie of them before they went out in, on different occasions. What were they wearing? Take photos of their closet, um, did a bunch of Im- image analysis off of that, and learned An amazing amount about how people present themselves to the world how they combine different different articles of clothing in ways that most people wouldn't expect (laughs) (laughs) i just become a really really rich data bank for the client to think about and how they design for the future
2: so underpinning all of this because i'm thinking about all the data that you're collecting that is sort of on top of the usual stuff right? So on top of what you get on a survey or in a diary, and it's very unstructured. So so we're also back to that sort of how does machine learning come in to help us? Because I mean, in our work, we're, we're using a lot of natural language processing because it's text, you know, voice could be converted into text, you do the same thing. With that fashion example, computer vision, image analysis. Uh, so where, where are we at in terms of the machine learning technology to kind of cope with these sort of new forms of data that are coming through these sort of chatbot environments because I think that's that's what will actually ultimately unlock the insights I suppose or in the service example I gave allow you to do that triage and figure out what what the personal experience needs to be. Are we where we need to be or is this more kind of early stages?
1: I think the AI behind that sits behind all of this is getting better and better literally every day. There's so much focus on it. There are so many people working on it, big companies, startups. The technology is getting better every single day. In fact, I just had the conversation with our analytics team a couple of weeks ago about where we are today versus where we were just a year ago. And from their perspective, it's light years. It's so much easier to get to more accurate, better, deeper responses when you run text through um, the algorithms even than it was a year ago or even six months ago. Mm -hmm. And the more data that gets thrown in, the smarter the system gets. So I think it won't be long before we can feel extremely confident that what we're getting out of the inputs is, is really robust.